just want to let you know that this particular video, the syncing of the audio and the video is not very good at all. So actually you can still listen to it very well. But don't try to expect the video to, to make any sense. It doesn't. It jumps around and it doesn't look very good. So if you want to listen to this video, listen to it. Don't pay attention to the video in this particular case. I'll see if I can do something about that in the future. But sorry about that. Let's move on. Let's let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you this day. Lord, we we are amazed at you. Because you are an awesome God. You are the one true God. There is no other. And Lord, we see the things that you've done through your creation. We see the way that you have orchestrated Bible in our lives. Orchestrated in such a way as to be glory to you, Lord. And we know that you're there. We know that you have been there ever since you made the earth 6,000 years ago. And Lord, we appreciate the fact that you love us. Why? Well, we wouldn't be lost just like everybody else is today. There's so many people out there that have no idea that you exist. And, of course, they know you do. But if you are there, they don't care. Or uh, you're too uh, restrictive in their, in their opinion. Or you need to know that my life is in good shape. I'm, I'm a good person. We know all of that is nonsense, Lord, because we all need you. We all have sin as our debt. We all have the need to ask for forgiveness, to accept what Jesus Christ did for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for that. Lord, we know that the times are weird. The world is strange. The world is corrupt. And we know that had to happen too. And it's going to get more corrupt is the other, is the other side of that point. But we also know that the rapture is near. The rapture is going to come to basically allow you to take control of the rest of the people and to convince them who you are so that many turn to you and they threw a little bit of force, <laughs> a little bit of force, a lot of force. So Lord, we praise you. Thank you for being with us. Have the Holy Spirit guide us through your study this day. Lord, thank you so much for being with us in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. You know, I told you last week, I uh, was explaining to him our Sunday school class basically and saying, you know, we go through the Bible verse by verse. He says, good, that's what I really like. And I said, okay, it's cool. This week, we're going through the Bible verse. <laughs> we're doing one verse today. One. And that's Hebrews 11.4. So I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified, and then we'll start talking about it, all right? It says, prompted, actuated by faith... Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, because of which it was testified of him that he was righteous, that is, that he was upright and in right standing with God. And God bore witness by accepting and acknowledging his gifts. And though he died, yet through that incident, he is still speaking. Now, I want you to see, and you'll see through here, the reason that writer of Hebrews would even put that in the Bible, why has he got a, a faith check? Well, let's convince these people of something. So let's get into that. Remember the old cowboy saying, dead men tell no tales. Remember that? That's wrong. Dead men do tell tales. Abel is just such a man, even though he died 6,000 years ago. And that's true. Okay? Whether you believe the earth was created at that time or just before that or not, we can prove that Abel lived 6,000 years ago. That's 4,000 years before Christ. 
little while ago. Um, a first century man also. Why does he speak to us? Because he has a, quite a lesson for us, really. He was the second generation of mankind. He was 4,000 years before Christ. He came from a culture we can't even imagine. We have no, no idea what it was like back then. We also know that uh, there was far less knowledge and far less light from God at that time. And, of course, that's closer to God because Adam and Eve, obviously, are Abel's parents. But they didn't have any idea the kind of knowledge that we have of God because they didn't have the word. They didn't have the kind. They didn't have the opportunity to have Jesus Christ. So we have much more than they do. But what he has to tell us is more relevant than anything we can read today except in God's word. The world can't even match what Abel can tell us. What he has to tell us is from 11, and that is the Hebrews chapter 11, faith chapter. And Abel is the first person ever that the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, speaks of. Abel had pure faith, pure faith. And that isolates him completely from works. Well, this is what the Jews were trying, what the author of Hebrews were trying to tell the Jews so that they would wake up to. It. And that is that you have to see that Abel, going all the way back to the first, or actually the second son born to Adam and Eve, knew that faith was how you got righteousness, not works. Now, why would he want the Jews to know that? Because they were still and are still em embellished in the fact that they have to do things to earn God's favor. And that's not true. These Jews had to know that from the very beginning, faith was the only way to please God. And it still is the case. Faith's the only way to please him. You can't please him any other way. Then you can say something that's kind of funny. I read this from a commentary. It just says, Abel could not have had the faith of his parents. Well, of course not. They saw God face to face. They walked with him, talked with him in the Garden of Eden. You know, and Abel didn't get to do that. He heard all the stories, I'm sure. I'm sure they, his parents, Adam and Eve, told him all about that. But until they sinned, Adam and Eve didn't need faith because they could commune with God face to face. There was no reason to have any faith. Of course, until they sinned, and then after they sinned, they had knowledge, the knowledge of what happened in the garden, obviously, and they had knowledge of the relationship they had with God that they had lost. But they still had memories of those, of course. And they had a re unique relationship that was never going to be repeated. And I'm going to say that matter-of-factly. It'll never be repeated. Now, when we're face-to-face -face with God, we're not human any longer, right? We'll have our resurrected bodies. The humans that go through the Millennial Kingdom will get to see Jesus Christ face-to-face but they're still in a different situation, not like Adam and Eve. So that was a very unique situation back then. So what we see from all of this is that Abel's faith shows us three things. He's going to show us what he did was a true sacrifice to God, a true sacrifice. He had true righteousness given to him because of that sacrifice. And he was a true witness of who God really is and what God really wants from each one of us. So we'll get to that. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit more about what 
I think we can get from this. Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother. Abel offered a better sacrifice that obtained him something that his brother never got. And what was that? Righteousness. And also because Abel got righteousness, he's the first living voice proclaiming that righteousness is how? It's by faith, not by works. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What does that say? It's by grace that we're saved through faith. And that uh, not of ourselves, it is a gift lest anyone should boast. So that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same for Abel. It's the same for us today. So God promised in Eve in Genesis 3.15. Why don't you turn back to Genesis chapter 3 with something very special. And what was that? Well, actually, that was the first prophetic utterance of the Bible. And what was the prophecy? He said, I will put enmity. Who is talking? This is God talking to Eve and the devil. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the devil, between your offspring and her offspring. That tells you a lot right there. What does that say? The devil has offspring? Well, Genesis 6 says that the fallen angels have offspring, doesn't it? The Nephilim. Also says that the devil has offspring, those who follow him. Who are they? They're the ones that don't accept what God wants. Then it says, between your offspring and her offspring. Then it says something very interesting. It says, he shall bruise... <coughs> and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. And what's that? That's a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. What's that? It's going to Jesus will bruise his, or excuse me, the devil will bruise Jesus' head. Yeah, he will. He'll crucify. But he just came back to life, so that doesn't matter. But it says uh, he's going to crush your head, basically, is what it's going to say. So, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply you from your suffering and pregnancy, the pangs of childbearing with spasms of distress. You shall bring forth children. So yet your desire and craving shall be for your husband and shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to and given heed to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I commanded you not to saying you shall not eat of it. The ground under your under the ground is under a curse because of you and shall eat of the fruits of, of it all the days of your life. Now there's more to that. And I want to go back to that chapter and we will go back to chapter four as well. But what I brought that up for was simply this, the seed of the woman would give us a redeemer. Do women have seed? No, men have seed. Women give birth from man's seed, right? Egg and sperm get together and you have a baby. Okay. This says the seed of the woman. Well, that's really kind of true because the Holy Spirit became the seed and the woman basically gave birth to Christ without a man. That's the whole, whole point. So while judgment is being executed on the earth through sin, result of death, and also a crown was given because of man's sin that seed of the woman would be the only way we could gain righteousness full righteousness and that was yet to come only one woman in all of mankind's history ever possessed a seed and that of course was eve not from a man but from the holy spirit now 
her comments after the birth of Cain is kind of interesting. That's what I want you to see back in, in chapter four of Genesis. Her comments are interesting. Maybe you haven't seen it this way. She said, and Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife. She became pregnant, bore Cain. What'd she say? I have gotten, that's really kind of the meaning of Cain, something that has been gotten. I have gotten and gained a man with the help of the Lord. I think it's reasonable to assume that maybe she thought that that baby she just gave birth to was that redeemer, right? Probably. We don't know that, but probably so. But he was anything but a savior, right? In Adam all die, that's for sure. The sons of Adam could never be a redeemer because they have sin. That's why every single human being that's ever been born, starting with Cain, has the sin curse. And that has to be removed. Somebody's got to pay that sin, penalty of that sin. Well, Jesus did that. But in the Old Testament, nobody had that paid. Still people in heaven, all those Old Testament saints that had their faith granted to them as righteousness, all are still yet to be redeemed. It will happen. They will get their glorified bodies, and that's when they'll know that they're fully redeemed. But right now, they never experience the same things that we've experienced. So both Cain and Abel were, as we are, fully human. Adam and Eve's second son, Abel, had a brief life, although he lived long enough to be a keeper of flocks, so he had to be fairly old to know how to do that. The, the uh, Jewish tradition says he was somewhere around 50 years old when all this took place. But you think about it, how long do people live in the Old Testament? 900 years plus, so 50 was, he was a teenager, <laughs> basically. So uh, Cain and Abel were born, both born in sin. And unlike what evolutionists proclaimed, men ever to live on the earth were highly intelligent. They weren't brutish cavemen, you know, they dragged their arms on the ground or anything like that. These guys were highly smart. They were very smart. But after all, their father, Adam named, and they think possibly something like 16,000 different species of animals, and he named them all. Did you and I do that? I don't think so. 16,000 different names and come up with them. He did. And Abel was fully able to understand everything about what? Animal husbandry. Cain was fully capable of understanding everything there was to know about farming and how to grow crops. So they were smart. But Abel made a better sacrifice. Now look at Hebrews 11, 4a, first part of 11, 4. What does it say? By faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. He made a better sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's go back to chapter 4 in Genesis and read 3 through 5. And what does it say there? It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no respect or regard. So Cain was exceedingly angry and indignant, and he looked sad and depressed. Now, what do we see from that? Obviously, Cain and Abel had a place to worship. Think about that. 
I wonder where they got that. They had an altar. Gee, I wonder where that came from. Did Adam and Eve tell them that they, that's what they needed to do? Did Adam and Eve pass on some information from God? We don't know. Did they see a vision? We don't know that either. But somehow or another, they knew where they needed to sacrifice. And notice the first part of that verse there. It said, in uh, the course of time, which means there was obviously a particular time for them to actually do the sacrifice. So God had prescribed this to them pretty well. And he had told them, sin offering, blood has to be shed. Obviously. Because he accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain. Cain brought vegetables. <laughs> he brought fruit of the ground. Now, what do we what do we learn from that? Is that is there anything wrong with taking fruit and vegetables and so on and so forth as an offering to God? Well, no, the Old Testament says that's perfectly okay, but that's not a sin offering. It's a Thanksgiving offering. It's an offering of first fruits. But Cain took it anyway. Now, what's what do we see from this? And I'm just reading into this a little bit, but I think you'll see what I'm where I'm going with this. Why would they know anything about worship and sacrifice? Obviously, they've been told or they've heard from God or they heard from mom and dad. But also, they knew that this particular sacrifice in the, in the like I said in verse, in uh, chapter four, uh, verse four, it says in, what does it say specifically? It says, in the course of time, what does that mean? There must have been a particular time for a sin sacrifice. But Cain says, nope, I'm not going to do that. Cain was disobedient. He knew what he should have done, I think, as we can read into this. He should have brought a blood sacrifice for this particular time. He didn't do that. Abel brought a better sacrifice because God had prescribed a blood sacrifice for this particular time on this altar, and he didn't do it right. Cain didn't do it right. Abel did it right. So Cain willfully disobeyed God about what he should have brought to the sacrifice. Why do I know that? Because God did not accept the sacrifice, obviously. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. Did Cain actually believe in God? I think he did. But can you say Cain actually believed God for what he should do? The answer to that is no. He decided to do it his own way. Does that sound like us today? We approach God in our own way. Many people do. We know we maybe we not even know what God wants because we don't read the Bible. Maybe we don't know the proper things to do because we don't read the Bible or study or go to learn what we should be doing. But so we say, well, what I've got is, is good because I'm a good person. So I'm going to I'm going to offer that, and that's what Cain did. And what happened? He basically got cursed for doing it that way because that's not what God wanted. And so, therefore, Cain began, became the father of false religions. Now, why do I say that? Because he actually tried to please God through his works. That make sense? So he's the father of false religions. All religions on the face of the earth. And I'm told there's many as 7,000. Is that amazing? Every one of them except Christianity, which isn't a religion. It's a lifestyle. It's a worldview. All of them. Salvation is gained through works. Every one of them, all 7,000 of them, except Christianity. Yes, sir. Didn't all of Cain's bad churches or religions die in the flood, though? 
So everything from Noah is the one that we've got. Right. No, you're ex absolutely right about that. The uh, people don't change. People don't change. Yeah, that's true too. People also say, "Well, the Nephilim all died in the flood too." I'm going, "No, they didn't, because Goliath came after the flood. The Nephilim came early, because it says back in chapter six of Genesis. So they're Nephilim before the flood, but obviously Goliath's a Nephilim, so that happened after the flood too. And Genesis six actually says that. It says specifically. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Well, I can't find the exact verse. I'll get it in a second here, man. In a minute. No, it, it actually says that it says it, and he, they they did that. The fallen angels actually made babies with human women, and it says they did it then, and they did it afterward as well. That's in the first first part of, of chapter six of Genesis. There, I don't see it specifically, but it does say that. Is it four? Yeah, it does. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. That's where you go. So see, so we have them. I think we still have them today. I think they're still Nephilim today. Now, necessarily, are they giants? I don't know. But are they actually half fallen angel and half human? Probably. I think some of our politicians might fall into that. <laughs> really? I'm serious. Yes, yes. Oh, there were, there were some supposedly 10, 11-foot men. They saw in a mall in, in Florida, but they don't have pictures of it. That's what everybody claimed. And everybody says, well, if, if that's true, they were Nephilim. So anyway, so um, perhaps Cain's display after he had his sacrifice uh, rejected, perhaps his display after that, because it's, specifically back in Genesis that he became very upset. It could have been just a spontaneous, impulsive thing that he broke out and, and uh, killed his brother, but no, it's not because he actually invited his brother to go out into the field with him. So he kind of kind of did uh, premeditated it. Yeah. So, but I think it probably opened himself up to obsession or possession from the devil too. So there's a possibility he did it on his own possibility the devil might have had something that they really don't know. But the, but the point is, Abel, through his obedience to God's command, gained righteousness through his faith. Cain did not, because he tried to do things his own way. I think the majority of people in this world today try to do things their own way. Like, there's no doubt about that. Even people in the church still try to do things their own way. Now, Abel obtained righteousness. That's the second part of verse 4. In chapter 11, it says, because he had a better sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice, a best one, just like uh, Chris was talking about this morning. Because he had a better sacrifice, it was testified of him that he was righteous. He was upright and right standing with God. So he had a true righteousness. He obtained righteousness. Abel was just as sinful as Cain. There's no doubt we're all sinful. But he did what God wanted to do, not what he wanted to do, not what Abel thought was the right thing to do. He said, no, i got to do it God's way. So Abel's faith through obedience was the kind of faith that allows us to move in and on behalf of God, and he makes us righteous by doing that. Okay, do what he says. True faith is always obedient. 
Isn't that true? Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And what does abide mean? Well, abide actually means obey. It also means contend. That's something we have, we've missed out on in this world today. We should contend for the faith as well. I'll read you three, two verses out of Jude 3 and 4. It says, Beloved, my whole concern was to write to you in regard to our common salvation. But I found it necessary and was impelled to write you to urgently and urgently appeal to you and exhort you to contend for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain men have crept in stealthily. Their doom was predicted long ago. Ungodly persons who pervert the grace, spiritual blessing and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality and deny Jesus Christ. And that's happening all the time in all denominations and all over the world. So, God showed Abel his sacrifice was acceptable by accepting it, burning it up. And Abel was counted righteous, not because of anything he did, because he did what God wanted to do. He was faithful to God's wishes. That's our message that we should get to. Holy Spirit was not given very often in the Old Testament. So he didn't have the Holy Spirit testifying to him. It was given to David quite often, but it was taken away from him too. It was given to some of the Old Testament prophets when they prophesied, but it was taken away. He didn't stay with people in the Old Testament like he does with us. Once we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit's with us forever. But Abel had God's approval because he paid attention to what he wanted to do, and he did what God wanted. Instead, Cain did the opposite. He knew what God wanted, but he said, no, I think I'll do it my way. And he suffered for that. Now, also, Abel speaks from the dead, speaks to us from the dead. Genesis 4.10, let's read 4.10, 11, and 12. He says, he said, I heard the sound of you walking. Oh, it's Genesis 3, Roger. Let's go to 4. That'll work better. Uh, and the Lord said, what have you done? This is after Cain killed his brother. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed by reason of the earth. What was it that Cain prided himself in? Growing crops, growing fruits. Now you're cursed, he said, by reason of the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's shed blood from your hand. When now when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a, in a vagabond on the earth, a perpetual exile, a degraded outcast. Now, what does that mean? This is, not, this is something that you can't even fathom. You and I cannot fathom how bad this curse was on Cain. He was proud of his abilities to raise crops. God will never be able to do that again for the rest of your life. So if Cain was around 50 or 60 years old when this happened, how much longer is he going to live? Probably 900 years, cursed for 900 years. Now, God says, I'll put a mark on you so nobody can kill you, but you'll be cursed. You'll be ostracized. That's a pretty bad punishment. But that's the mark that people get today for not paying attention to God is eternal damnation, not just 900. Think about that. 
So Abel is speaking to us from the dead. Abel, though dead, continued to speak to his brother throughout the remainder of Cain's life. Another reason, by the way, that I Cain and Abel were probably about 50, says Abel had a wife. Oh, excuse me, Cain had a wife. Where in the world did he get a wife? That's, that seems to confuse people. And I'm, I'm saying, why does that confuse you? It doesn't confuse me. DNA was, was perfect back then. You can marry your sister. and It wouldn't be bad. So he married one of his sisters. But they had, the sister had to be born and grow up so he could marry her. So obviously they had to be older. It couldn't just be 20 or 30. They had to give time for, for uh, Adam and Eve to have a daughter or several. You know, the Jews think that Adam and Eve had 56 children. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Whoa. Well, she lived 900 years or more. He did. He lives 930 years. So, you know. So, obviously, Cain was able to pick one of those sisters to be his wife. But he, he and his wife led a pretty bad life because they were chased. They were, they were ridiculed the rest of their lives because they knew who he was. That's pretty nasty. So, basically, what we could say, the primary meaning of Hebrews 11.4, I think, has to do with Abel speaking to later generations of believers, later generations of potential believers, and certainly to our generation of, believe, of believers today, so that we can actually get it cemented in our heads that the way you please God is to do what he says and have faith in him and trust him. That's how you please him. Nothing else. What does that mean, too? That means do what he says as far as what you're supposed to do with your gifts, how you work your life, how you do your life. That's, that's the works you need to do now. That's after faith and after salvation comes works. That's a good thing. But works first? No. That'll never work. Contend for the faith. Be bold. Stand up. Preach it. Contend for it. Uh, stand up for it. Regardless, absolutely. That's that's what Jude was trying to tell his people. Contend for the faith. Don't just sit there and just relax in the fact that you know you're you're saved. No, contend for it. So Abel still speaks to us. How does he do that? Three ways. Number one, he says, "Man comes to God only through faith, not works." Ephesians two eight and nine. Number two, that was Abel. Now. Ephesians were written by Paul in the first century after Christ. Abel goes back 4,000 years before that. So God's message has never changed. It's been around for 6,000 years. Number two, man must accept and obey God's revelation above his own reason and self-will. Let me read that one again. Man, you and me, mankind, must accept and obey God's revelation above his own reason and self-will. Is that hard to do? It's the hardest thing you've ever done. But you always want to do what you want to do. That's what Israel had so much trouble with. Still having trouble with, yeah, absolutely. No question. And number three, sin is, is very severely punished. So without Christ, it's punished eternally. So you need to accept Christ so that eternal, well, eternal punishment doesn't happen. So the last thing that I want to mention to you is a particular verse that's found in many different places in the Bible, and that is that the righteous shall live by faith. Now, where is that? That's in Romans 1.17. 
That's in Galatians 3.11. That's in Hebrews 10.38. And it's in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. And actually Abel said it too about what he did. He had faith in God because he trusted God and he did what God wanted, not what he wanted. Does that make sense? Hard lesson for anybody to learn today, for sure. Am I doing what God wants me to do? Ask yourself that. Maybe you can't answer it, but God can answer it for you. Maybe ask God to tell you whether you're doing what he wants you to do. And he'll let you know. He will. Sometimes we get good answers to that. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> yes, sir. In your opinion, why do you think it's so difficult for people, especially people who have never exposed to the truth about Jesus Christ? Why do you think people struggle? I can do this. Well, you're taught that way from the time you're born. You're taught that. You know, there's, there's, you're taught that you can accomplish things yourself. You need to take it, take responsibility for your own life. You need to take control of your life. You need to make sure that you do things that, that uh, not only benefit you and your family, but whoever else that you come across, you should be taught that. But again, it's still you, 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 you. And the answer is we're not taught that with God and you, you can do everything. Through Christ, you can do everything. Right? Yeah. But we're not taught that. There you go with submitting again. You have to submit to absolutely say, God knows better than I do. God's God and I'm not. <laughs> really, that's the thing. I can get through this. I can handle this. No, you can't. The guys at the ranch, we tell them every time we even see them, we tell them, no, you can't handle this on your own. Uh, why are you here? Because you didn't handle it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but maybe in a different way. But yeah, I agree with you. It's strong. It's a stronger held belief by men than it is for women. But women still have a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, sure, sure. And we look weak if we say, "No, I've got. I'm gonna rely on God." Somebody say, "Well, are you weak?" <laughs> no, I'm just smart. <laughs> yes, sir. Is there a possibility that Cain was growing groceries? You might say. Yeah. And there was some civil rivalry going on that he would have had to go to his younger brother to buy something sacrificed correctly. He might have, sure. We don't know the full story yeah. there. No, no, we don't know, but I've never heard that before. I was just wondering if that was a possibility. We just know that they, they were having a contention of some sort, yes. and it could have come from the fact God took Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's competition right. thing because he was the older brother. And my younger brother is approved by God, and I'm not. So there could be a contention right there. So, uh, pride is. Oh, sure. Well, that's why I brought the crops. His pride in, in his ability to do it. I'm sure he was very good at it, right? But he was never good at it again. Him being a, being a Jew, he didn't want to buy anything from his brother. <laughs> he wasn't a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jews hadn't come along yet for another another uh, two thousand years. <laughs> but I see what you're saying, uh, for sure. Sorry, folks. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all right. I go down that road quite often. Anybody have any comments? Any more comments about this? I think it's interesting to see the main purpose in chapter eleven is to wake the Jews up to the fact that they cannot earn their salvation by works. They cannot follow the law and be saved. 
that won't do it. It won't work. Well, in um, Genesis 4, 6, when uh-huh. God is speaking to Cain, isn't he speaking to his heart? Why do you feel that way? Why are you angry? Yeah. Why is your countenance falling? Exactly. He's saying, look inwardly, Cain. Yeah. Why are you acting the way you're acting? Yeah. Are you really justified in doing that? He's kind of like that did the same thing with a guy by the name of... Uh, Jonah, he was sitting on the hill, covered up by a gourd that grew up and gave him some shade. The next day, the gourd died. He's in suffering in the sun again. And he's sitting there mad because he made, God made him after he went through all the stuff, going through the fish and all that stuff. He came there and he sat on the hill looking down on Nineveh and seeing that they repented. Gentiles, I'm a Jew. I came to this foreign land because God told me to, and actually I went through the fish's belly and all that, so I had to do it. And I'm here, and he made me ask them to repent. Gentiles, this is horrible. I hate this. And God said, why are you angry, Joe? Same thing. Why are you acting like that? Yeah, but also he's saying, didn't I tell you all along, it's not just you, it's not the Jews, it's everyone. I love everyone. Read, your, read the Old Testament. He says, you, you know this already. That salvation is for everyone, not just the Jews. The Redeemer comes from Jews, but salvation is for everybody. And Jonah knew that or should have known that, but he still got mad. I want to ask him, why why do you think, Jonah, that God didn't let you print chapter 5 of your book? I don't know there was a chapter 5. There's only four. But he, he was there on the hill, and that's it. It ends right there. It just stops. And he's going to say, because I just went on and on and on, probably, and kept talking to God about, why are you doing this? He acted like I'd act. That's not my job, Lord. Why do you make me do this? I'm not supposed to do that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priest to the Jews, not the Gentiles. Probably because they've done something that they don't think they've gotten forgiveness for. Probably. Yeah, exactly. And some of those guys aren't true when they say those things either, but, you know. Now, do they still deserve the punishment? The answer to that is yes, they still do. But do we treat them that way? The answer is no, we don't. You know, there's guys that are on death row that have been on death row for 40 years. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. No kidding, for sure. Anyone else? I like well, that God told Cain that Sam was crouching at his feet. Yes. Mm-hmm. What Jesus said to Peter, yeah, get thee behind me, Satan. They were all the same. You know, this is no, these guys are the same as us. They lived 6,000 years ago, but they've got the same makeup. We're made in the same image as they were made in. We think the same way they do. Absolutely. Man hadn't changed. Actually, man has changed. We've gotten stupider. (laughs) They were more smart than us, more intelligent than us. More smart, yeah, like me. I'm more smart. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, next week, we continue on in, in uh, Hebrews and talking about more interesting people, obviously, a bunch, bunch of very interesting people. The next one, of course, is we look at verse 5, talking about Enoch next week. And Enoch is a very interesting figure, but also a pre-flood man. Enoch lived 365 years, and God took him. That's a big statement. He lived 365 years. How do you do that? Well, it was before the flood. Conditions were different. Their genes were better, you know, so on and so forth. So they lived longer. Everybody else was living 900 years, but Enoch only lived 365, and God took him. So he's one of the two men that never died. Who was the other one? Elijah. That's why I think it's Elijah and Enoch. They're going to be the two witnesses in Revelation, but I don't know that. Nobody knows that. Some people say that since he has no genealogy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also claim, and I don't think they're right, they claim that Melchizedek was Jesus. He was a Christophany, and I don't believe that. I think I think he's very well it could have been Shem, Noah's son. Because Shem and Abraham were contemporaries. If you look at the ages, they overlap by a couple hundred years. It could have been Shem. Oh, right, right. We'll find out someday. Yeah, that's right. We can ask him questions later. I don't want to be here anymore. Well, listen, y'all stay warm. Okay? We're not having Monday night Bible study because it's too cold. We're going to have it on Zoom. So if you want to Zoom in on Monday night, please do. But in the meantime, you're going to say something here? I mean, Perry? I wish you folks heard how those people reacted when I told them what gift we were sending to the Sunday school class. Oh, wow. It is a blessing, folks. And I, y'all blessed me. You blessed, surely blessed them. John actually showing some good signs of selfish Still in out of the woods. Not out of the woods, and got doctor performance like all the rest of us. But it was just great. That's funny, isn't it? That's that's. To be able to to send that money to them. Amen. And hear what they have to say and how much they appreciated it. So God bless you. Thank you very much. It's awesome. Yes, sir. Let's pray together. Lord God, we we praise you, Lord. Thank you for. Uh, telling us about men like Abel and Enoch and all the others in chapter 11. And, and just know that there were literally hundreds of others, maybe even thousands of others in the same time period from back then to now, maybe even hundreds of thousands. But you've given us those examples that we can look at and we can say a comparison, make a comparison between them and our lives. Learn the lessons that you're trying to show us there, that, that faith is the way that we please you not by works. Works comes after faith. So we praise you, Lord, for all of that. It's, it's amazing that you have given us such valuable information so many years ago, written as long ago as perhaps 2,000 years before Christ, and certainly 1,500 years before Christ, because that's when Moses lived. So that's 3,500 years ago, and we've still got the words, Lord, because they're your words. They're living words. They still mean what they meant then. They still mean the same thing today. 
We praise you, Lord. We thank you for that. Keep us safe. Keep us warm. Lord, get us through this, this brief period of cold so that we can come back again next week and continue to worship you together. We gain so much when we do that. The fellowship and the learning is, is fantastic, and we love you for that. We pray for uh, Jim Booth and Crystal. Apparently, that's why our pastor wasn't here today. He was supposed to go to Peru, but we pray for them. We pray for their health, and we pray for the connection that we made again. And we thank you for the for those people, people like Jim and Crystal and other people that sacrifice their lives to further the gospel and to train others so they can spread the gospel in those areas. Thank you, Lord. Watch over and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.